Eureka by John Thomas Volume 1 Chapter 1, Section 2, Part 2 Of Deity Before Manifestation in Flesh The Apostle, who had the honour of receiving the Apocalypse for transmission to the servants of the Deity, has called our attention to the consideration of the fountain and origin of life and power in what is commonly called the Gospel according to John. He there points us to a certain commencement, and saith, In the beginning was Hologos, and the Logos was with the Theos, and Theos was the Logos. In the common version this reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We may see from this the propriety of God styling himself the first, the beginning, and he who is and who was. He was from the beginning, whether that beginning be referred to the creation narrated by Moses, or a remoter beginning before ever the earth was, and none but a fool, the Spirit saith, would affirm that God is not. Though John introduces two words into the text, he is careful to inform us that they are not representative of two gods contemporary with the beginning, but of one only, for he expressly says that Theos was the Logos. In this text, then, there is one deity, and he is styled the Logos, This word signifies the outward form by which the inward thought is expressed and made known. Also, the inward thought or reason itself, so that the word comprehends both the ideas of reason and speech. Hence, by John styling him the Logos, it was equivalent to affirming that he was a reasoner and a revelator, or as Daniel declared to Nebuchadnezzar that the Elah in the heavens revealed secrets, even the deep and secret things. But was the deity reason and speech only? In other words, an abstraction independent of substance, or as some affirm, without body or parts? To preserve us, from such a supposition, John informs us that the Logos was with the Theos. Here was companionship and identity. The Logos was with the Theos, and Theos was the Logos. Never was there a conceivable point of time or eternity when the one existed without the other. Yahweh possessed me, said the Logos, In the beginning of his way, before his works of old, I was set up from Olam, the hidden period, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the open places, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. 
When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. The Logos was with the Theos, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights with the sons of men. Proverbs 8 verse 22 No Logos, then there would be no Theos, and without Theos, the Logos could have no existence. This may be illustrated by the relation of reason or intelligence and speech to brain as affirmed in the proposition, no brain, no thought, reason or intelligence. Call the brain theos, and thought, reason and understanding intelligently expressed logos. And the relation and dependence of theos and logos in John's use of the terms may readily be conceived. Brain flesh is substance, or the hypostasis, that underlies thought. So theos is substance, which constitutes the substratum of logos. Theos is the substance called spirit. As it is written, theos is spirit. And he who uttered these words is declared to be himself both substance and spirit. But why is the divine substance called Theos? It is a name reclaimed by the Septuagint translators from the heathen, and from them appropriated by the apostles who wrote in Greek. The derivations proposed of the word are various. The most probable seems to be that which deduces it from the word Theo, to place, appoint, constitute, ordain. Fernatus, the Stoic, who wrote in the reign of Nero, says, It is probable that Theoi, the gods, were so called from Thesis, position or placing. For the ancients took those for gods, or Theoi, whom they found to move in a certain regular and consistent manner, thinking them the causes of the changes in the air and of the conservation of the universe. These, then, are theoi, or gods, which are the disposers, theteres, and formers of all things. And long before Fernatus Herodotus had written that the Palasci, the ancient inhabitants of Greece, called them theoi, because the gods had disposed or placed in order all things and all countries. Theos, then, in the singular, may reasonably be supposed to have been adopted by the sacred writers of the New Testament as an appropriate designation for the divine substance, as the disposer and former of all things, especially as he claims to be so in Jeremiah 10, verse 16, with a softer pronunciation, that is, by changing th into d and o into u. The Romans borrowed this word from the Greeks and called it Deus, 
from which we derive our word deity. In my translation, I have used this word wherever theos occurs in the original, except in two places in which the word God will be found for the sake of the meter. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Deity, then, declares the divine substance to be the disposer and former of all things, a truth which the Spirit in the Scriptures is careful to place prominently before the minds of men. A few instances will show this. This people, Israel, I formed for myself. I am Yahweh that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, Yahweh, do all these things. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. Thus saith Yahweh, He, the Elohim that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I, Yahweh, and none else. Isaiah 43, verse 21, 45, verses 7, 12, and 18. He is truly the former of all things, alone and by himself. Hence his title of the Deity, which suggests this great truth to all who are acquainted with him. As to the Anglo-Saxon word God, it is a term that may be applied to any one of goodness and authority without profanity. God is a contraction of the word good, hence God signifies the good one, and was perhaps suggested to our ancestors by the saying of Jesus that there is none good but the theos, or deity. But the deity has not chosen to designate himself by this term. The idea of goodness is not contained in the word theos, and therefore I do not use it as its representative. And here it may be remarked that the 70 Israelites who translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek for the king of Egypt used the word theos as equivalent for El and Elohim. The first, a noun, singular, and the last, plural. By so doing, the true import of a multitude of passages was obscured. This defect of the Septuagint has been transferred to the English version by rendering them indiscriminately God, which does not at all express the signification of the Hebrew terms. Theos comes nearer to these than God, for a being might be good, but far from mighty for the formation of all things. But he could not be Theos, the disposer and former of all things, without being Ael, in the almightiest sense of the word. The seventy, however, erred in not respecting the Hebrew distinction of singular and plural. In adopting Theos for Ael, they ought to have written Theoi for Elohim in the plural. But they did this evil, that good might come, at least so it is said. 
The seventy, says Parkhurst, have constantly very few passages accepted, translated the plural name Elohim when used for the true God by the singular Theos, never by the plural Theoi. In so doing, one may at first sight think them blamable. But let it be considered that at the time the Septuagint translation was made, the Greek idolatry was the fashionable superstition, especially in Egypt under the Ptolemies, and that according to this, their gods were regarded as demons, that is, intelligent beings totally separate and distinct from each other, and that consequently, had the Greek translators rendered the name Elohim by the plural Theoi, they would thereby have given the Greekizing heathen an idea of the true God inconsistent with the unity of the divine essence and conformable to their own polytheistic notions. Whereas by translating it theos in the singular, they inculcated the grand points, with the heathen I mean, of God's unity, and at the same time did not deny a plurality of agents or persons in the divine nature. Since the Greeks called the whole substance of their God the heavens, theos in the singular, as well as theoi, in the plural. As we have said, the Hebrew representative of Theos is Ale. This is a primitive word which to the mind of the Hebrew always presented the idea of strength and power. It is applied in the prophets to the former of all things when contemplating him in his almightiness. The meaning of the word is strength might, power, and when used of a person, signifies a mighty one, a powerful one, a strong one, a hero. The first place in which it occurs is Genesis 14 verse 18, where Melchizedek is styled the priest of the Most High Ale. This teaches, by implication, that there are other Elim but that he whose priest Melchizedek was, was the highest of them all. The term is used in a multitude of places in the Old Testament, in the greater number of which it is rendered God. This, however, does not at all express its meaning, for goodness is no element of the word. The deity informs us through Moses that it is a part of the name he chose for himself in his communications with Abraham. I appeared, said he, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name El Shaddai, but by my name Yahweh, commonly but erroneously pronounced Jehovah, was I not known unto them. Exodus 6 verse 3. In the English version, El Shaddai is rendered God Almighty. But this does not express the original. Shaddai is indeed rendered almighty, omnipotent, by lexicographers. But their reason for so doing is theological, not etymological. They have invented what they call a pluralis excellente, by which a plural noun is applied to a person or thing in the singular to express its excellency. 
Hence, to show how excellent the deity is in power and majesty, they suppose the scriptures speak of him as many powers or many gods, as is implied by Elohim, Shaddai, and so forth. But this is a weak invention, which only reveals the ignorance of the learned respecting the name of the deity exhibited in the mystery of godliness. Their pluralis excellentiae is a mere fiction. It admits plurality in regard to deity, but has entirely failed in giving a rational and scriptural exposition. Shaddai is a plural masculine, and derived from the root Shaddad, to be strong, powerful. Shaddai is the plural of Shad, mighty, powerful, and therefore signifies the mighty or powerful ones. Three of them appeared to Abraham in the plains of Mamre. Moses informs us that Yahweh appeared to him there, and that when he lifted up his eyes to see Yahweh apparent, he saw three men standing by him. Hence, Yahweh, or Jehovah, was apparent in these three men. He was one three, or three one. Ale was the one, Shaddai the three. These three men were mighty, powerful, strong, and therefore they were styled Shaddai. They were harmless, patient, and sociable with Abraham and Lot, but terrible in power to Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain. But was their power absolute and independent, or was it derived? Could they say, before us there was nothing formed of ale? Could they say, we three are the divine nature in trinity, original, uncreated, underived? The name by which they were known to Abraham answers these questions in the negative. Their power was not absolute and underived. It was derived from the divine substance, John terms theos, and which Paul says, only hath deathlessness, athanasia, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. But Abraham saw the three men, or Yahweh apparent. Therefore they were not the eternal first cause, but a spirit manifestation of him, whose name was known to Abraham as El Shaddai, the strength of the mighty ones. Now the deity was also known to Jacob by the same name, and appeared to him in like manifestation as to Abraham. Jacob saw a host of Shaddai, styled by Moses, Malachi Elohim, messengers of Elohim, Elohim sent of Ale. He wrestled with one of them, and prevailed, and in consequence received the honourable title Israel, because as a prince hast thou power with Elohim. And Jacob called the name of the place where he wrestled, Peniel, faces of power. For, said he, 
I have seen Elohim faces to faces, and my life is preserved. Genesis 32, verses 2, 28 and 30. Here was the Most High Ale in multitudinous manifestation. Jacob never saw his person, for no man has ever seen that. But he saw persons like him in form and substance, as much so as sons are like their father in these particulars. He saw as much of the father ale as men see of an invisible father in his children. They study the father in these in the absence of other data. Their father is in them as a flesh manifestation of their parental original. The Shaddai are styled Elohim as expressive of the parental relation subsisting between them and Ale in nature and power. As the highest and most powerful one in the universe, he styles himself the Ale Elohim, the power of powers a truth memorialized by Jacob in the altar he named El Elohai Yisrael, the strength of the powers of Israel. Elohim is a plural noun, which in the singular is written Eloah. The use of this in Habakkuk 1 verse 11 shows that the idea of strength or power is the radical meaning of the word, zu chacho leloho, as to this one, his strength is his Eloah, or the one in whom he trusts. The three men who appeared to Abraham were each of them an Eloah, but not each of them Elohim. The three together were Elohim. Eloah, occurs 56 times in the scriptures, and four of these times only in the Psalms. But in Job, 41 times. The use of El and Eloah by Job would indicate that one and the same being is meant. Every member of the heavenly host is an Eloah. But of all the Elohim, one only is the original and self-existent ale, the absolute, omnipotent and independent power of the universe. Speaking of himself in his address to the ends of the earth, he says, Look unto me, for I am ale, and none else. Isaiah 45, verse 22 And to Israel he saith, Ye are my witnesses, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I, Yahweh, am he. Before me, ale or power has not been formed, nor after me shall be. Isaiah 43, verse 10. A testimony that identifies ale with the Logos and Theos of John, which as one power, he saith, made all things, and without him was not anything made that was made. From him came the apocalypse, as it is written, a revelation 
which the Theos committed to Jesus Christ.